Oh, goodness. Thank you, everyone. I'm humbled. Thank you, Ben, for your kind words. And you spoke to some things that I'm going to speak to today, and I didn't really tell you what I'm talking about. So that's exciting. And thank you, DJ, as well, for your beautiful prayer, and for Jessica for this opportunity to share. Thanks to my team, the chapel team, for making my life so sweet. And for all of you, my friends and fellow students and coworkers, um, so many of you have reached out to me to support me as I'm preparing, and I'm just overwhelmed and grateful. So thank you. Much of what I'm able to share today is only possible because of the love that God has shown me through each one of you and through Asbury as my community and my home. So thank you so much. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm going to be sharing today both from Psalm 131 and also a little bit from how God has been at work in my own life. So some of this message will be a little bit of a testimony. Um, I chose this psalm for today because of how it became a part of my life this semester, and so I'll be sharing that story with you today. Two notes, I will be sharing a little bit about the outpouring, and I know that there's a wide variety of experiences with what happened in our town this semester represented even in this room. This is just my experience, and I thank you for listening to that with me. Also, um, a second note, shout out to all of my fellow criers. I know that there are some of you out there, um, and you'll hear me share a few times in today's message about um, a time that I cried. I just wanna say that that is a way that the Holy Spirit reminds me of his presence or reveals his presence to me. Um, and so that's part of what the significance of that is in some of these stories. And also, I just believe that a good, healthy cry is good for you sometimes. So that's a part, that's a part of our story today, too. Well, I encountered Psalm 131 in a fresh way this semester. And it sustained me through many highs and lows. One morning, early during the outpouring, I was eating breakfast and texting a friend about a conversation that we'd had earlier discussing our experiences at the outpouring, reflecting, and thinking about how we'd been grateful to reflect together. As we were texting, as I was eating my cereal, I was listening to a Spotify worship playlist, and a song came on that I'd never heard before. As I listened to the lyrics of the song, I suddenly and inexplicably began to cry. I realized immediately this was Psalm 131. I recognized it from having read it recently. I scrambled to find it in my Bible and read through it quickly. It's only three verses. There was the familiar phrase that had led me to tears. Things too wonderful for me. I felt overwhelmed. In contemplating the outpouring, I knew in my spirit in that moment that I was contemplating something too wonderful for me. What was God doing in my life and in the lives of the people around me? It all felt like too much to understand. And yet in that moment, I felt the deep comfort of God, encouraging me to just rest in his presence. As Ben referenced, um, that very evening, we would open our campus here and Estes Chapel um, for the outpouring. 
and my role would switch from just experiencing to being the coordinator of worship here for Estes. Rest was not always the posture that I would be able to take during the outpouring, but it was where I wanted to always fall back into, into resting in the presence of Christ. That morning as I cried at my kitchen table over my cereal, I could imagine, as the psalmist says, holding a baby on my chest. And I could imagine being gently held by God. This was the call to be in the presence of God and to trust him in all things that has, has sustained me this semester. Well, the heading on Psalm 131 is a Psalm of Ascent. It's part of the collection of psalms immediately following Psalm 119 that are for pilgrims that are making their way up to Jerusalem. Many of them are shorter, just like Psalm 131, those three verses. It's attributed to David. I love putting the psalm in perspective of how it could have been read by a pilgrim. Jerusalem, as I'm sure you know, is on a hill with the Temple Mount elevated and visible from far away. Imagine with me for a moment that you are down in the valley looking up to Jerusalem. You're a pilgrim. You've probably journeyed from far away by foot, and you're eager to arrive and worship. Maybe you're carrying a child with you. Commentary writer Leslie Allen suggests in relation to Psalm 131, the image of a woman with a baby in a sling and a toddler on her shoulders making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There's exhaustion, but there's anticipation, and there's joy all mingled together. As you're journeying, you recite, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not lifted up too high, as the more literal rendering of that verse would be. Isn't it funny? Looking up at the temple and all of its majesty and all of the works of Yahweh that it represents, and yet saying, Lord, my eyes are not lifted up too high. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Psalm 131 invites us into a posture of humility before the awesomeness of the Lord. In order to better understand this posture, let's turn to another verse. This is Job 42, verse 3. Here Job uses the same word as the psalmist to describe the things of God that he has so freely and passionately spoken about throughout the entire book of Job. God has responded in the whirlwind of power to Job. And here Job has his final say back to the Lord. Surely I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know. He adds, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. To contemplate the things of God is far above Job, but now he has seen the presence of God. It's overwhelming, to say the least. Job's response is to repent in sackcloth and ashes. It's clear from both Job and our psalm that in the midst of contemplating the things of God, we are to avoid pride. The entire wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible attests that pride is something that Yahweh despises. 
But perhaps the pride that the psalm discusses is not just a matter of contemplating things in one's mind. After all, commentator John Golden Gay suggests that Psalm 131's concern myself or contemplate has a connotation of going about and doing, implying that the psalmist is not avoiding thinking about the things of God altogether, but rather is not attempting to take on those things as their own task. This is an extremely important point. How many times have I sought control from God over my own life? When have I thought that my plan was better than his? The posture of humility that both Job's response to God's self-revelation and the psalmist's response in considering climbing up to the temple prompt us to is to repent of the times that we thought we could control God for our own means and purposes. When I contemplate the great things that God has done, do I try to wield them for my own sake? And then secondly, what is my posture when I contemplate what God has not done yet? We're certainly taught throughout scripture that it's appropriate to cry out to God and complain on behalf of the situations we may find ourselves in. This is the entire lament tradition. In preparing to share today, my heart has been heavy with so many burdens that I know you share where we wish that God would do something. And this semester hasn't been an easy one. Certainly there have been many, many good things and we praise God for those. But in a certain sense, the good things of God are things that I can't fully comprehend, and they're often met with these difficult things. Life is complicated, it's hard, and as much as I try to grasp for it, I don't have control. To imagine that I can control my life circumstances turns me into that prideful posture. Globally, there's bad news every day, and it's all been named in this chapel before, even DJ, I appreciate you naming some of the things in your prayer today. War in Ukraine, military coup in Myanmar, war now in Sudan, famine, natural disasters, the perpetuation of gun violence here in the United States. It's closer to home too, though. I don't have to name the challenges on our campus, but we all know how difficult it has been sometimes for us to be unified as one ATS community. This semester has pushed us to some of our limits, but by the grace of God, we're becoming stronger together. We need God's healing. Perhaps the most difficult are the challenges that are personal. Sickness, broken relationships, doubt, mental illness, unknown futures, loneliness, financial struggles, family troubles, addictions, the loss of a dream, a missed opportunity. I do not have control over these issues, and they loom large. I can see why Job complained, where are you, God? <laughs> where is God? Frankly, I feel small when I think about all these problems in my life. And yet my tendency in that is to lift up my eyes too high and to make my heart proud 
well, I can't control God, but maybe there's something I can do to fix it all. Perhaps there's some great thing that I can bring some resolution to. Our pride gets in the way when we try to see the bigger picture of who God is using our own limited vision. Certainly, hear me on this, certainly, we must partner with God in building his kingdom. This is the clear, clear call of scripture. I don't want to neglect that. And even here among us in our community, I want to press us to not neglect the important work of kingdom things and advocacy for kingdom things. And yet in that, there will always be a time that I come to the end of myself. I can't always cope. I sit at my desk and I can't send an email without encouragement from the Lord. The last page of the paper feels impossible to go from my head through my fingers onto the screen. <laughs> Getting up early again feels too painful. I don't know if I can do it. And I've had to learn the hard way that I can't change people's hearts. I'm limited. So what is the good news for me? What is the good news for you? My heart is not proud, Yahweh. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Like some of you, and perhaps unlike some of you, I didn't have what I would maybe call an altar moment during the outpouring. In my most exhausted and end of myself moment during those two weeks, I went outside one evening after having been in Hughes for most of that day and joined the people milling about by the outdoor screens, not feeling ready to walk home yet. Of course, I couldn't drive home, I had to walk home, but. <laughs> As I was standing outside, I don't know what, maybe waiting for something to happen, waiting for the feeling that I should walk home. The band in Hughes started playing the worship song, Christ Be Magnified. And there's a line in the chorus, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Something about that made me cry. <laughs> I started weeping and I knelt right there in the mud and I was wearing my white sneakers, so this was significant. <laughs> And I just started crying rather uncontrollably as the lyrics continued. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. Two older women, strangers, saw me crying and came over to me and started to pray for me. They had no idea how much I'd felt like I'd poured out everything I had, laying my whole life on the altar for what Jesus was doing. I could only see my own frustration and exhaustion. The call to sacrifice, also paired with the word of hope in that song, had touched me so profoundly in that moment. The women spoke basic truths over me that I normally don't think twice about, but that I needed more than ever in that moment. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. They held me and they blessed me and they encouraged me to carry on. I don't know who they were. (laughs) And yet this is representative of the hope that's offered in Psalm 131. When we come to the end of ourselves, we can trust God. When we come to the end of ourselves, we have a Lord in whom we can put our hope. We were never meant to do the things that only God can do. In the distress of moments that feel too big for us, God instead invites us to refocus ourselves in the calm and in the quiet on him. Like a mother holding a child, we are safe in his arms. God is providing for our needs, like a baby who has been fed. We don't need to strive. Hear the verse. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Some translations add an extra word, no, but I have calmed and quieted myself. The whole first verse of Psalm 131, the psalmist asserts all the things that they are not doing. And so in this, we're meant to see a set of opposites. In opposition to striving is resting. In opposition to pride is contentedness. In opposition to concerning oneself is calming and quieting oneself. I have calmed and quieted myself. I've taken a deep breath. For me, I've wrapped the blankets tightly around me. I've looked up at the sky to remind myself of my smallness. I've done a grounding practice. I'm aware of my surroundings and what is real. I'm looking at the big picture. And my vision is limited. I'm like a child. I'm a child with its mother who has just been fed. I'm content. I'm resting. I am safe. I am full. I am held. I am patient. I trust completely. I have what I need. I am warm. I am sleeping. Tomorrow is not in my own hands to provide. Things that I do not understand are happening, but I know who is holding me. My soul is content within me. I am satisfied with what the Lord has given me, and I trust him to do the work that the future holds. These actions that we take calming ourselves, quieting ourselves, are reflexive, right? We're doing it to ourselves. We do them. But it's purely as a result of the actions that God has already taken toward us. This is our response for the love that God has given us. When I'm quiet, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can sense God's hand on my life like a mother's care for her child. The image of God as mother in this passage may resonate with you or not, 
but hopefully you can imagine this sense of comfort and provision. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to produce things to be loved. We don't have to do great things for the Lord. All our hope is found in Christ. We will never be enough. Christ is already fully enough. And then, the work that Christ has already done frees us from the need to strive and the need to grasp when things are bigger than we understand. And it equips us to take on the challenges of the things that are too big for us to understand, things too wonderful for us, in his strength and in his provision. Verse 3 adds meaning to this. It's a call to the entire community of Israel. Israel, put your hope in Yahweh from now until forever from now. Wait for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord. Like the call to avoid pride, a call found throughout wisdom literature and really throughout all of scripture. Verse three is the place where Psalm 131 has sustained me continually throughout this semester. I don't know if you resonate with this, but I want so desperately to have the answers for today. All those things I mentioned earlier that I want to have control over. Do I really have to wait for God to act? What can I do? There's a curious parable of Jesus in Mark 4 that helps me to think about the act of waiting. Let me read it for you. It's Mark 4, 26 through 29. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. I know that God asks me to partner with him in his kingdom work. See, a man scatters seed on the ground. But perhaps more importantly, God wants me to trust him for the hidden work of the kingdom. To trust that he cares more about the coming of his kingdom than I ever could. And to know that he is working behind the scenes while I am sleeping or getting up, it's not up to me. God makes the seeds grow in a way that is beyond my understanding. I am a child who needs to be fed by God and who can't understand or control the world around me. Yet I am so fully loved and seen by Yahweh who cherishes me and who sees the concerns in my heart. In some ways, this parable is a helpful call against Pelagianism. God is doing the work behind the scenes. Wait on him. Don't think that you can do it for yourself. In fact, the presence of God is enough. For Job, seeing God revealed to him that he had contemplated things too wonderful for him. But he could also see that God was more sovereign and more good 
than he had realized. What we have to offer the Lord is enough. He loves us for who we are, not for what we produce. And he holds us like an infant. Dr. V.V. Thomas shared with us in Daily Eucharist yesterday, and I was so encouraged by his word on the feeding of the 5,000, reminding us that God takes the little that we have and blesses it. N.T. Wright says of this parable in Mark 4 that it can function as a warning against looking down on small beginnings. Two or three people meeting to pray and plan That today may herald the start of some great new initiative that God has in mind. Waiting on the Lord means living like God is real and believing that he is at work around us. Too often I look inward at myself, see my inability to save myself or others, and am filled with fear. When I wait for Yahweh, I rest in the promise that Christ is accomplishing his purposes in the world. The mere presence of God is enough, and he is with us. In fact, Colossians 1.27 encourages us, To the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ at work in us here. When things don't make sense, do we believe that to be true? In their commentary on the Psalms in the Wesleyan tradition, Thompson, Ross, and Varughis remind us that Christian hope is for life that is beyond this earthly life. And it is always centered on Christ and on the work of God in Christ Jesus. As 1 Timothy 1.1 says, He is therefore called our hope. Friends, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I can take the next faithful step knowing that when I come to the end of myself, I can trust in God. Let God do the heavy lifting. We can trust that he both cares for us and has the power to act on our behalf. In a complicated world, where we don't always understand, perhaps we never fully understand why the kingdom is not yet here, we are called in hope to live as kingdom people with kingdom vision. Hope for the kingdom today and for the final kingdom. This calls for an expanded imagination, for a radical waiting, a radical hopefulness rooted in the person of Christ and worked out in the response of us, the community of the church. Friends, will we risk slowing down and calming and quieting ourselves so that we can be fed and nurtured by the God who has always provided for us? Rather than some sort of altar moment during the outpouring, I think one of the main things that I received from the Lord through everything that happened was an expanded vision and an awakened imagination as to what God can do 
and in fact is doing in the world. How much was God doing during the outpouring that I'll never know? Most of it. <laughs> I truly, I feel, I feel like the evangelist at the end of John. Many more things could be said about Jesus. So many that it could fill all the books in the world. But these have been written that you may believe. I don't even remember everything that I experienced in those two weeks, much less how 50,000 or however many people encountered God individually. But I'm hopeful that the things that I do remember are what the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart to recall and that will help me to believe that God is moving even when I can't see it. In some ways, it would have been easy for pride to take over when we consider that God did something wonderful in our eyes and that he did it here at Asbury. And we got to be a part of it and see firsthand what God was doing. And this psalm throughout the outpouring and today remains a challenge for me to not let my eyes raise too high or my heart become too proud. I couldn't and can't understand all that God is doing. I couldn't and can't control it. And that is an incredible gift. To let God be God and let us be us. I am called to respond and to worship and to rest in God's abundant presence. All of it is something too wonderful for me. God moving in a way that I myself had prayed for here with you but could have never anticipated. More than we asked for or imagined. The seed of my prayer, and of so many of your prayers, had been given everything that it was needed to grow, completely beyond our control and without our knowledge, but in God's great mercy, to create a bountiful, bountiful harvest. I want to share one more story, which felt to me like a nod from God to me. Um, on a different day during the outpouring, I was standing right here in Estes by the side door, and a man came up to me holding his Bible, and he shared how excited he was to be here and explained that he had been here during the 1970s revival, and we started talking. At one point, he opened up his Bible and pulled out a note card that he had situated in the front and said he wanted to pray the text of the scripture written on it over me. Friends, it was Psalm 131. <laughs> Before I could say anything, he read it out loud to me, just the three verses. I was so surprised. I excitedly shared with him that God had put that exact psalm on my heart only a few days before. He was filled with joy, much more than I had expected him to be. <laughs> and we rejoiced together in how the Spirit had brought us together and gone before us into our meeting and interaction in sharing that, these verses together. Somehow, God knew that I would need to have it confirmed again. Today, I need to have it confirmed again. To calm myself in his presence and put my rest and trust in him alone. He will always be enough. His presence will always be enough. When we come to the end of ourselves, we can trust God. Well, in just a moment, we're going to recite the Nicene Creed together.
It's a statement of our trust in who God is and in what he has done and in what he is doing. So Bethany, I'll invite you up to prepare us to do that. And just firstly, I want to read the psalm one more time to you, Psalm 131. And I hope that you'll receive it today as a blessing. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or with things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, Asbury, friends, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen.